As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles toward the back of the Bible, toward, uh, to the book of Colossians. Uh, today, uh, we begin a sermon series, so you actually may want to mark that book of Colossians. We're going to be here in a, uh, for a while. Uh, we start a new sermon series entitled The Gospel Truth. Uh, the Gospel Truth, and we're going to actually make our way through the entire book. It's only four chapters of Colossians. Uh, we'll actually be here until the end of June. We're going to go deep into God's Word today. But starting a new sermon series, in many ways, is kind of like starting a new TV series, you know. Uh, you kind of want a little bit of background before you jump in. It'd be good to know a little bit more information instead of the first time you see it, like kind of where are we, who are the characters. You want a little bit of a preview of, of what is this about. So let me give you a preview. Colossae was a city, uh, or it is a city, in the Lycus Valley, River Valley, uh, also known as the Lycus Valley, in the western part of Turkey. Uh, it's quite a bit away from where the epicenter was in the eastern part of Turkey uh, in Syria of the earthquake. But it's an amazing uh, city and town. At one time, it was a very prominent Roman city uh, of Colossae. But even in the New Testament, really, Colossae started losing a little fame. Laodicea, who's one of his neighbors, was, was much more uh, famous, uh, kind of well-known. Hierapolis was also in that area, was, was more well-known. Pamukkale is a really cool town in that little area with hot springs that come over, and the hot springs run down the hills, and they form this white, uh, crusty-looking thing that uh, you see it looks like snow, uh, which is incredible. I've never been to Colossae. I've been to Laodicea. I've been to Hierapolis and Pamukkale. Uh, I've seen Laodicea. We were actually, I'm sorry, I've seen Colossae. We were in Laodicea. Uh, we looked over and said, oh, there's Colossae uh, over there. Uh, but this was a, a, a church that was probably greatly influenced by um, the city of Ephesus. It was in Ephesus that the Apostle Paul spent quite a bit of time preaching and teaching, uh, both in a, a hall in Ephesus, also home to home. And so much God's gospel was just growing. I mean, God was using the Apostle Paul, and the church was spreading and most likely, through that influence, the church of Colossae was founded. It was not actually the Apostle Paul who founded the church. It was founded by a guy named Epaphras. Epaphras. Uh, Paul will call Epaphras a faithful minister of Christ, a beloved fellow servant. And when we read this letter, you realize, you know, usually when Paul writes a church, he's got some things to address. He will, but these were faithful people. Uh, they were faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, they did have some bad teaching come in. It was known as the Colossians heresy. Kind of hard to know exactly what that meant. But something crept into the church. And here's what really probably it was all about. They were told that, hey, you're a good church. But listen, you don't have the whole truth. And, and really, you don't have the whole truth about Jesus. And you don't have the whole truth about the gospel. There is no book in the Bible, maybe except Romans, that tells us more about who Jesus is in his divinity than the book of Colossians. It's an amazing book. It's also going to tell us of the truth of the gospel. Therefore, I'm calling this the gospel truth. And you know what? This church might have felt like secondhand citizens because a lot of the churches in the area, they were founded by the Apostle Paul, and they weren't. 
As a matter of fact, Paul had never even been there. Uh, but he is going to write to them with the authority of the Apostle Paul, the authority that God had given him, and say, now here's the gospel truth. And this is truly who Jesus is. Uh, Katie and I started watching one of those new series recently. We're fully in. Uh, we are now watching Blue Bloods. Anybody uh, watch Blue Bloods? Of course, Mr. Cop, you're watching Blue Bloods. Um, but, you know, we are, I think we're in season two, uh, fully entrenched, uh, which is a, it's a great cop show based in New York City, a family, uh, a religious family uh, of faith, a, a wonderful Catholic family. They eat meals together. If nothing else, it's a great model of a family trying to, to live together. But in the episode we just recently saw, it was a court scene. Uh, the court scene had the daughter, who's a, pro, a, a, a prosecutor, as well as her brother, who is a detective. Uh, they were kind of against each other in court a little bit. But really what struck me is what they always say. What do they say when a witness comes to the stand? What do they say? Raise your right hand, and what are you supposed to tell, say? Tell us the what? The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us God, right? And so really, in the book of Colossians, Paul is going to tell us the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And as we see in the Bible, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth is the gospel. The gospel, the good news of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, that's the gospel. The gospel is truth. And the gospel is, we got to get this, absolute truth. The gospel is universal truth. The gospel is truth for all. And what, what happens is, is it is true, and you can't add to the gospel. If you think you can add something on to this good news, it, it, you can't add to it. It's no longer the truth. You can't subtract from it either. It is the truth, and nothing but the truth uh, is the, the good news of the gospel. So we're going to look at three things as we begin our study together. We're going to see what is the gospel truth, what is the gospel graces or the gospel virtues, and what is gospel growth. So we're going to make our way through this. May God's Holy Spirit come on each one of us. May we all grow together as we study God's Word and we submit ourselves under the authority of God's Word. We're going to be uh, kind of making our way through this. There will not be a verse that we will not examine and look at. So today as we begin, we begin in Colossians 1, uh, verses 1 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you, and the words are on the screen as well. Let's be mindful, although this came from the pen of the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is God's Word, living and active. It'll never lead us astray. Beloved King's Chapel, hear the Word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints, those are just believers, and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. For this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it always does among you. Since the day you heard it, the gospel, and understood the grace of God in truth, 
Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Well, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we're so grateful for the way that you tell us that you love us. And we're so grateful for the way that you tell us the truth and the truth of the gospel. That God, we're grateful that your spirit would be with Paul, the Apostle Paul and would write this letter to the church of Colossae. But God, it was written for more than just them. It was written for us here at King's Chapel in 2023. So God, we would ask that you would do that which only you can do. That God, you would be with us through the preaching of your word today and every Sunday. That God, that you would give us the ears to hear your voice as we look into your word. That God, you would give us the mind of Christ. That we would understand, as it says in this text, your word, your gospel, and your truth. That God, that you would give us hearts that would embrace Jesus, as your Son, our Lord and Savior. That God, the Holy Spirit, would empower our feet. That God, when we hear your word and we submit to your word, that we would walk out of here in obedience to your word. That we would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, we thank you for this letter. And God, we ask that you would use it in the life of each one of us, in the life of this church, King's Chapel, to shape us and mold us in your truth and in the gospel. Oh God, may it bear fruit. May it bear fruit in this church and may it bear fruit in each one of our lives. That God, the things that I say that are wrong or just my opinion, may those things be forgotten and fall away. But the things that are said that are true and contain this gospel truth, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our savior, Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. So as we begin this letter, we see that Paul is going to talk about this gospel. He's going, to, he's going to link truth and the gospel together. The gospel truth. Paul links the truth, the two together. The truth is the gospel. The gospel is truth. We cannot know the gospel without truth. And we cannot know truth without the gospel. The gospel is God's truth. And the way that the Apostle Paul will write this, the gospel is the word of truth. The word of truth. The word gospel, galion, it means good news. Basically, the gospel is the good news. And here's what the good news is. It's the good news of what God has done for sinners like us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his son. It's God's word of truth is the gospel. It's the good news. It's the most transformational thing that ever has existed. The good news of the gospel. If it's something that you hear and understand, it makes you new. It transforms you. It brings you life. Um, this is the gospel truth, the gospel word of truth. That God would so love sinners, that he would send his only begotten son, that he would come and live and die and be resurrected for us, that whoever believes in him shall not die but have everlasting life. Is that not good news? I mean, it's incredible good news of the gospel. The gospel is the word of truth. But it's more than that. It says this as well. The gospel is 
the grace of God in truth. Well, what does that mean? The gospel is the grace of God in truth. Because the gospel will tell us the truth of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, of how we can be saved. And here's the point. It's the grace of God because our salvation, start to finish, beginning and total, all depends on God. Everything about our salvation, everything for those of us who can say, I have been born again because of the grace of God in Christ Jesus, all of it, all of it is received by God's grace. All of that grace comes to us through Christ Jesus, his son, our Lord. Now, a lot of people think about Christianity as like another religion. It's what we do to make ourselves right with God. It's what we do so that God will love and accept us. But the Bible tells us, even in the book of Jonah, it reminds us in the middle of the Old Testament, hey, salvation is of the Lord. So when it comes to salvation, a holy God rescuing us, it begins with his idea. Salvation isn't our idea, it's his. As a matter of fact, the Bible will tell us before the foundation of the world, he had a plan. Before he created anything, he loved. And what he loved is sinners like you and me. And he knows that he would have to have a plan to come and rescue us. Salvation is God's idea. Salvation is God's accomplishment. Not just some of it, but all of it. Salvation is only accomplished through his son. His son had to come being born of a virgin, being sinless. His son had to come and fulfill the law that God had given to man because God is holy. His son had to be the spotless lamb of God and do that all that which we failed to do, and he did. His son and his son alone was worthy to hang on the cross, representing us in his humanity, also observing, uh, absorbing the wrath of God in his divinity, and he, would, he and he alone accomplishes salvation for us. He hangs on the cross and he says these words, it is finished. You want to say, well, what is finished? Well, what was finished was salvation being accomplished for sinners. The debt of our sin, the wages of sin is death, was paid. He's paying it. Uh, and not only that, the wrath that a holy God deserves to pour out on uh, our sin, he absorbed. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As the father turned his back on his son so he could turn his face in love on us. Salvation is accomplished through the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord. We needed more of the cross. We need an empty grave. If there wasn't Easter in the empty grave, the sacrifice didn't work. The father didn't accept it. But we have all those things in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Uh, salvation is accomplished. But there's more than that. Here's even more good news. His idea, his accomplishment, and it was also his application. That God applies it to our lives. God, those whom he loves, he gives us the ears to hear the good news. He gives us a heart to respond to it. You know how amazing God is? He gives us the gift of faith to embrace it. All right, hit pause. What you hear is the wind howling out there. It's, it's that thing back there that slams shut. When we're here working, it's, it's like a vent. And so I'm so sorry. You all have that look in your eye. Like, Jeff, this is the greatest sermon ever. But bang, there's a banging going on. It's the Holy Spirit thumping on your heart right now. All right? So listen, and I, I'm telling you, the enemy would love to distract us in any way because salvation is of God. And it starts and ends and begins with him. And it's all accomplished through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's by grace. So many of us think that we've got to be good enough. 
So many of us think that we've got to work hard enough. So many of us think we've got to be religious enough or do enough things or, or be baptized or whatever for us to be saved. The only way we are saved is by God's grace. It is the grace of God in truth. The grace of God in truth. Jesus, now watch this, Jesus is actually the embodiment. He is God's grace in person, the embodiment of grace and truth. You read the Gospel of John, amazing Gospel. In the beginning, uh, John 1 starts off with, in beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and he creates all things. And then it gets to verse 14. Now stick with me. John 1, 14 says, this Word who came, who created all things, this Word who is very God, he put on flesh, and he dwelt among us. Who is the Word who puts on flesh and dwells among us? It's Jesus, right? The eternal God who does this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father. Now watch this, full of grace and truth. What is Jesus full of? Grace. What is Jesus full of? Truth. What an amazing combination. And then it goes on to say, now listen, this is the gospel. From his fullness, from Jesus, we have all received, I love this, grace upon grace. If, you're, if you are a follower of Christ Jesus, from his fullness, we receive grace upon grace. Morning by morning, new mercies I see, great is your faithfulness. Never will you give up on me. Never will you change your mind about me. Never will you let me go as one of your sheep. Every day I receive grace upon grace upon grace. Not because I'm a pastor. Not because I have my quiet time. Not because we tithe. It's because of God who is gracious. Those things are important, but it's all about the amazing grace of, truth, uh, of God. So he says, from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. Now watch this, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so when Paul says the gospel is the grace of God and truth, the good news of the gospel is Jesus. I mean, here is... God's grace and truth personified. We see through Scripture, the grace of God always precedes and accompanies our faith in Christ Jesus. If you believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, it's only by God's grace. That had to start first. Let's look at Ephesians 2.8 and 9. Ephesians 2.8 and 9, Paul writes this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. Even the faith is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. So Paul is saying this amazing God who is holy and real and powerful is a gracious God. And he, he's a, such a gracious God to, to those sinners of, uh, of his that he specially loves. He gives us a grace. And the grace includes, gives us a faith. And the faith to know him as Lord and Savior. Grace always and forever will precede faith. It always begins with God. A God who is merciful and a God who is gracious. So Jesus is the embodiment of God's grace and truth. The grace of God always precedes and accompanies our faith in Christ Jesus. But there's more. The grace of God always undergirds everything about our faith and growth in Christ. Here's the point. The grace of God 
needs to be always at the core of our beings. Some people think, well, we're saved by grace, but then we mature. We move away from that. God's grace is not just the starting point of Christianity. God's grace needs to accompany every step of our journey. God's grace needs to be prevalent until we get home and we see him face to face. You know why we're getting home? By God's grace, through faith in Christ. You know what we need every day? God's grace. You know what this church should celebrate every day? God's grace. You know we should celebrate and promote God's grace. And we say, listen, God's grace is a grace that is personified in Jesus. It doesn't mean that we just, there isn't truth. There is truth. It's God's truth. But God's grace and truth together, pointing us to Jesus. The gospel is the grace of God in truth. And Paul's saying, you get it. This is what, you, this is what you're embracing. And the gospel is, is hearing and understanding the truth. He says to the church, he says, you've heard it. He uses that, that Greek word to hear a few times. You've heard it and you've understood it. So, so this, is, this is how God proclaims the good news. The word, it needs to be proclaimed. The word of truth needs to be proclaimed. The gospel needs to be heard. All right, let's go to Romans. Romans 10. I'm going to start with verse 9. I'm going to read, you got to listen. And you got to ask the Spirit to let you hear this. Because this is unbelievable. Romans 10, 9 says this. Because if we confess with our mouth, that Jesus is Lord. And we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That's salvation. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Listen to this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Paul writes, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, Isaiah will say, how beautiful the feet are those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So here's the last point of this part. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The gospel needs to be heard. It's proclaimed with the good news of what Christ has done. And it needs to be understood. And your understanding might be a mustard seed. It might, you don't have to know the volumes of theology. Here's what you must know. Jesus is Lord. He is who he says he is. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Here's what you need to know. He is Savior who has risen from the dead. He's alive. And because of that, he's conquered death. If you have heard that by God's grace and understand that, you are saved. Only by God's grace is the gospel heard and understood. Only by God's grace. Why? I I think of my man Robbie in the back. He came to know Jesus Christ uh, right here in Central Florida at a Billy Graham concert, a a crusade. Uh, And he heard. He heard. He got up. And he he said, 
God is doing something. It's by the grace of God that he heard. And he heard that proclamation of the word. And he knew that he had to respond. That's salvation. Well, once you hear that, you have gospel graces. Second thing is gospel graces or gospel virtues. Paul groups together when he writes three graces or virtues that are always together. And these are marks of a true believer. These are marks of a true church. And you want to say, okay, am I really a believer in Jesus Christ? Is this church a faithful proclaimer of God's word? The three things, the three graces, anybody know what they are? Three things. Paul writes about them all the time. What are they? Faith, hope, love. He says it. If you look back over what we just read, you'll hear faith, hope, and love. Actually, in the book of Colossians, Paul changes the order a little bit. He says faith, love, and hope. He talks about these three things. Paul is going to tell the church in Colossae, hey, you are faithful. You are the real deal. Why? Because you have faith, you have love, and you have hope. King's Chapel, we will only be a faithful and true church when we have these three graces. You will only be an obedient follower of Christ when you have these three things. The first is this, faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says in 4a, they have saving faith. They have faith in Christ Jesus as God's only begotten son. Faith that Jesus is the only savior of sinners. Faith that Jesus Christ was their Lord and savior. Do you? in that faith in Lord and Savior. This is, listen, this is more than knowing Jesus. This is more than following the teachings of Jesus. This is more than admiring Jesus. This is saying that Jesus is the only way. This is saying that Jesus is the only truth. This is saying that Jesus is the only way to find life. This is putting everything you have in your faith and trust in him. That is faith in Christ Jesus. This is saying all my hopes, all my dreams, all that I have, all the junk, all the good, all the bad, I give to Jesus. I repent of my sins and I brace him as Lord and Savior. And we are forgiven and free. So they had faith in Christ Jesus. They had love for all the saints. Now this is really important, church. We can't miss this. A virtue of God's people is love for one another. The word love can be in different ways in Greek. This is the word agape, love. Uh, this is a selfless love that Christ loves us. He's saying that we should love selflessly one another. We should love the way that Jesus loves. At the end of his life, in, God, in John chapter 13, when Jesus was with his disciples, uh, up in that upper room, he gave them a new command. And you want to scratch your head and say, that doesn't sound like a new command. But he says this, Jesus commands. He commands that we love one another. doesn't suggest it. He commands it. He says, a new commandment I have for you, that you should love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus commands us, if your family and your his, if he has fixed the vertical relationship with you and a holy God, he's also fixed and transformed the vertical relationship with one another. As we love God who we can't see, we should be make sure we love our brothers who we can see. He commands us to love one another the way he has loved, selflessly and sacrificially. And I love what he says. 
The world will know that you're mine, the way you love one another. Can the world know that we're his by the way we love one another? Don't you think it's time for us to stop thinking just about ourselves? Don't you think it's time for us to quit being judgmental of who's sitting around us? Don't you think it's time that we stop being cold to our brothers and sisters in Christ who might be different than you in one way or another? The gospel power transforms us. It knocks the walls down that separate us. Jesus would say at the end of his life in a, in a, in a priestly prayer, I pray that they're one. I got to tell you, King's Chapel, this convicts me. I think we're a phenomenal church. I think there's so much good here. But is there a heartbeat of love for one another? I, I think there's some of it. But really carrying each other's burdens, caring about one another. And not just our own selfish agenda. And not just what, what we get out of it. But love. You know, love, and it's an indiscriminate of all the saints, all the believers. May we love as Christ is loved. And then hope. Hope laid up for you in heaven. Great is thy faithfulness. You know the song? Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Christian hope is hope for today, and Christian hope is hope for tomorrow. And it's secured for us in Christ Jesus. Now, the first thing you've got to hear, and you hear me say it a lot, your best life is not now. Do not believe that your best life is now. If you think your best life is now, you're going to be really frustrated. You're going to think, why can't I get my best life now? Why? Because it still slipped out of my hands. Because God didn't intend for your best life to be now. It's secured for us in heaven. It's secured for us there. Our best life is when we see him face to face. Our best life is when sin is abolished from us. It's not even, we can't sin anymore. But we have hope today. Our, we do have hope today. Hope that we are his, forgiven and free. But our real hope is for tomorrow. Colossians, we'll get to it, 127 says this. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. The mystery of the gospel is this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The joyous truth right now, if you're a Christian, Christ is inside you, in the spirit. He's forgiven you. He loves you. Christ in you. Today, have hope. He's not going to give up on you. He'll always keep you and love you. But it's hope for tomorrow. We live with a hope and an understanding that the best is still yet to come. I think we miss this as Christians. I don't think that we understand that the hope of, of, of realizing what God has for us is to pull us forward. Our hope is so small and pathetic. It's, it's for a little bit of a better life. It's it's for a little bit of a better situation, a little bit more raise in our, our jobs or, or our country that, that it doesn't head in the direction that we don't want it to be heading into. And those are all small hopes. But he says, set your hope like an anchor to your soul in what is in heaven for you and what is to come. The gospel graces, faith, hope, and love, may we demonstrate them here. And then lastly, the gospel growth. Healthy things grow. Healthy things multiply. The gospel should be bearing fruit in our church. We should be praying for gospel growth, praying that people come to faith in Christ Jesus right here. We've talked about this. Bearing fruit, multiplying. It says that the whole world was bearing fruit. The gospel has gone forth. It has multiplied. I mean, it's amazing. 
the scripture says every tribe, tongue, nation, and people are going to understand the gospel at one time. In heaven, all of them are going to be there. Not everybody in person, but of all tribes, tongue, and nations. The point is this. The gospel grows in all kinds of soil. If God's word is present, if God's grace is there, and God's gospel is preached, it should be multiplying. We should be praying for it. God, these are dark times. Grow your church. But it also says the gospel should be increasing, which means maturing. The gospel should be maturing in our lives. It should be maturing inside of us. We all should be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Growing in grace, growing in your standing before God. The only way you and I are accepted before a holy God is because what Christ has done. The grace that he gives us is righteousness. The grace he gives us that his blood was sufficient to wash away our sins. But we also should be growing in our understanding of who God is. Our sanctification of who God is in Christ Jesus. We bring this to the close. We live in a time where we hear a lot of this. You've probably heard it. You need to live your own truth. Brothers and sisters, living your own truth is complete poppycock. That's the dumbest thing that someone could ever tell you. There is nothing real about our own truth. We are not the originator of truth. Not only that, we are not the deciphers of truth. God is the one who gives us truth. He is the source of truth. He and he alone. He reveals to us what is true. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. So don't try to think, live your own truth. No, no, no. Live the gospel truth. That will set you free. Embrace his truth. Embrace the gospel with faith, love, and hope. King's Chapel, we need to live the gospel truth or the truth of the gospel every day. We need to proclaim in word and deed the good news of this truth of the gospel. How is it with you? Are you living your truth? Or are you living God's truth? Are you living for your truth or the gospel truth? Are you following hard after Jesus and embracing him? Amen? Right. Uh, Father God, we thank you for the church in Colossae. And God, we thank you for this letter that tells us that the gospel is true, that the gospel is truth, and the gospel is personified, embodied in Christ Jesus. The good news of what God has done for us through his son. God, may we be a people and a church that have faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. May we be people of a church that have love for one another. May we be a church that has hope in what is secured for us in heaven, in Christ Jesus. And God, may we bear fruit. May we bear the fruit of the gospel in our lives personally, in our lives corporately. May each one of us mature and grow in the grace of God and the understanding of who you are. Oh God, bless us to be a blessing, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.